A number of years ago, I was in a conversation with a group of youth. I don't remember all the details, but we were on a, on a mission trip, I remember that, and on these mission trips, we'd be with a group of youth, we'd be out working during the day, um, helping improve a house, I th- think we were painting on this particular day, and each afternoon, we'd sit down and we'd have a devotional time, um, in some ways it was a devotional time, in some ways it was, it was getting hot, and the youth were not working anymore, so we might as well make use of the time, and so we, uh, we sat down to have a, a conversation about, usually there'd be a, a little piece written for us, and a Bible verse, and I don't remember the exact Bible verse, but I remember that it was about essentially the miracle stories of the Bible, and I remember that because I remember this young woman, and I was watching the group as the adult on the team, and I could see her wrestling as we read this story and, and wrestling with it. And, and finally, as the conversation was going around, she spoke up and she said, what if you don't believe in the miracles? She said, what if, what if I, I don't think that that was some kind of like, like thing that you can't explain? She said, can you, can you be Christian and, and not believe in miracles? And I tend to lead a group by facilitating conversation, and I really like to sort of think things through before I speak and let the conversation go. And, uh, uh, and I, wish, um, I wish I could go back to that moment, but I can't, because as I'm thinking, this young man across the circle from her jumps right in, and he's like, no, if you don't believe in miracles, you're not a Christian. And I just watched this young woman, like, just... Receipt, like you could see the sort of, I don't know, frustration, anger, hurt in her eyes. I don't know what it was, but I know I could see it. And she kind of withdrew from, like, in body language, she withdrew from the circle. And then she just kind of said quietly, she's like, I guess I'm not a Christian then. And I, I remember assuring her in the moment, I remember grabbing her later in the day and saying, you know, I, we, we all have questions. I don't think that what you believe about miracles makes you a Christian or doesn't make you a Christian. I'm just glad you're willing to ask the questions. And later I, I uh, asked our youth leader at the time to let their youth leader know what had happened so that, um, so that they were aware as well. And the youth in my circle team working that day weren't from our church. So I don't know what happened after that. But I remember it pretty vividly. It stuck with me. I might even say it's haunted me since then. Ever since, I've thought, like, there has to be a way as followers of Jesus to to sit in questions sometimes and make it okay to ask questions, even when the questions make us uncomfortable. There has to be a way of encouraging people who have questions that doesn't turn them away from Jesus. There has to be a way to express our beliefs and, and, and what we think without making people think that they're less than or not enough or that they're not a follower if they don't think the exact same things we do. I hadn't really thought about that until this question came up for this week, but, but maybe that's where this sermon series comes from for us at Clay Church, this questions welcome. Last week, this week, next week, we're just we're entering into these questions, and, and I think this is my prayer that as we do this, we might just model a way to sit in the questions a little bit. A way that invites people deeper into relationship with Jesus, not by telling them you've got to believe this, but by guiding people into, 
into what the Bible teaches and into the, to examine these stories and to let, let them develop their relationship with Jesus, not, not turn them away. Last week, we wrestled with the topic of hell, a light one there. I thought this week, we might wrestle with this question. Do you believe in miracles? Let's pray. Holy God, as we, as we gather today, as we consider these stories that we're going to look at in the Bible today, I just, I just pray that you help us to know it's okay to ask the questions that are on our hearts that you affirm your presence in our lives, that you help us to hear what you'd want each one of us to hear today, and that you'd ground us more deeply, lead us deeper into relationship with, with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you believe in miracles? I'm just curious, how many people, when you hear that statement, do you believe in miracles, go back to 1980 Olympics, where the United States beat Russia. Anyone? Anyone? There were a few more hands in the first service. I guess I'm dating myself. When, uh, when I came up with this title for the sermon, I'm like, where do I know that from? Like, do you believe in miracles? Obviously, it's a, it's a faith question, but like, where do I know it from? And I'm like, oh, Al Michaels in 1980 as the U.S. was beating Russia, winning the gold medal. That's what he asked. And that made me think, maybe if we're going to think about what a miracle is, uh, or talk about miracles, we ought to get to the definition today? Because, yes, the underdog beating the, you know, the, the superpower is, is a miracle, but, but let's think about what it means to, to ponder miracles today. This is a, Merriam-Webster online has two definitions for miracle. One, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. It is a, a miracle that God kept me for the last 24 hours from eating chocolate. Or two, an extremely outstanding or unusual event, thing, or accomplishment. Here, the difference here, it's a miracle that I didn't eat chocolate for the last 24 hours. Right, what I hope we can begin to see is that there's kind of different ways of, of defining miracle, of understanding miracle. There's the, the underdog finding a way to win. But then there's also the, the flower that grows up from the crack in the sidewalk. You're like, there's no way that that can support life right there. How, how can that support life? Why doesn't it just burn up and wither? And yet somehow this, this flower finds a way. Life finds a way. That's a, a miracle. There's a, a, another, another miracle, the conception and birth of a, of a child, right? Or a gorgeous sunset. All different examples of miracles, so I, I want to invite us just to kind of hold those different definitions, those different understandings in, in mind as we look at what's sometimes called miracle stories in Matthew 14 today. If you want to follow along, we're going to turn to Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 13, but to set it up, Jesus is in Nazareth, and, uh, and he has heard about the death of John the Baptist. And then this is where we pick up the story. When Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Miracle stories in the Bible. Do you believe in miracles? And today, what if instead of demanding a, a yes or no answer, what if we let this question about miracles just drive us into some more questions, drive us deeper into examining these stories? What if we just ask more questions? For example, like, how do you feed 5,000 people? I have this picture of the landscape around, uh, around the Sea of Galilee, not too far from, from Nazareth. And when you look at the picture, you can see it's, it's pretty remote. And even today, the, the lakeside, almost all the way around, there's a village or two, but for the most part, it's, it's a really remote area. So we can imagine this, like, crowd has, has traveled from the, from the villages. They've walked hours to, to get here. And now, evening is coming on fast, and, and the disciples, they're, they're concerned about the people. They're like, what are they going to eat? So they come to Jesus, and they say, send them, send them home. And Jesus says, no, you know what? We'll, we'll have enough. What do you got? The disciples are like, yeah, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Look at those crowds. And Jesus says, it'll be enough. So like, just give them to me. And he blesses the food, and he gives it to the disciples, and they share. And it says that 
Everybody is satisfied, and there are 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets left over. At which point, right, it's very normal to go, what? Like, I think Matthew in his gospel, I think he wants those who are hearing this story to to be amazed. How do you feed 5,000 people like that? And then, I don't know about you, I I, I have an engineering background when I started school, and I I love to get into questions and figure things out. And now I want to figure it out. Like, did Jesus break the bread and then like the other half reappeared on it and then he'd break it again and the other, like, how does that work? When the fish like came out of the basket, did it like more just magically, like how, how does this happen? There's actually another theory that some scholars suggest. And it's this, that as, right, they've got five loaves and two fish. That's all the disciples had. They brought together all they had. And Jesus says, okay, so he blesses it and he begins to share. And, and the theory scholars have is that maybe what happened was people did have a little bit of food with them or, you know, people, if they traveled all day, they probably carry, carry some, some snacks for sustenance. Maybe what happened was that everybody saw the disciples sharing what they had left. And so everybody shared. And by everybody sharing, they were able to feed everyone. Somebody after first service pointed out that it says 5,000 men along with the women and children. She's like, the women had packed food. So what really happened was the women had food with them and they were just inspired to make sure all the single men that didn't come prepared ate. (laughs) And whether or not you you attuned to this scholarship theory, there's probably another question here, which like, if there was enough, does that make it less of an amazing occurrence? 5,000 people were fed with 12 waiters, and no chef, and no caterer. Like, that's an achievement. Perhaps what's more important, though, is that once we're amazed and we start asking questions, we start paying attention to the story. It drives us in to go, wait, whoa, tell me more about how this, what happened here. And Matthew, in his gospel, he's got more to say. One of the things Matthew probably wants his audience to realize are the numbers that he's using to say kind of what's going on here. There were how many loaves of bread? Five, right? Where else does five appear in the Bible? There are five books of the Torah. It's the law, it's the word, the teaching of God, five stands for. And there were how many fish? Two, right? And, and where else does two appear in the Bible? Two tablets, God's word, the core of the teaching came on on two tablets, right? Matthew, as some of you may remember, we've talked about before, is writing to a, a primarily Jewish audience. They would have known the story of Moses, and Matthew is now sharing these numbers. Did people remember the exact numbers? Maybe, but, but maybe Matthew's picking these numbers very specifically to say, do you know what? There's more going on here than just feeding people with food. Jesus is feeding people with with the word of God. And there's another detail in Matthew's account. Who gives the food to the people? It isn't actually Jesus. Jesus blesses it, 
but then essentially says to the disciples, you have enough. You can, you can make this happen. You go and, and do this. I have prepared you for this moment. He just offers the blessing, and the followers, they serve and make the amazing thing happen. And then Matthew says 5,000 men were, were served 5,000 repeats the number five, right? If we think of what 5,000 is, it's five times 10 three times. Five times 1,000. And for those of you who aren't numbers people, uh, just take a moment, take a break. But for those of you who, who like love biblical numbers, um, 10 is seven plus three. Three is the Trinity, or it stands in biblical times for community. And seven is the number of days in the creation story. It stands for completeness. So three plus seven is 10. 10 stands for the whole community, 5,000 people. God is saying it's the whole community. And that 10 then is multiplied three times. So it's like the community of the community. Matthew is saying that by Jesus' blessing and those who are serving, the food satisfies everybody, all of God's people. And not only that, but 12 baskets are left over. There's still enough for all 12 tribes of God's people. There's still enough for everyone. When the followers of Jesus serve, there's enough for everyone. When the followers of Jesus serve, Everyone's needs can be met. Everyone can be provided for. When the followers of Jesus serve, nobody has to be turned away because there's enough to care for everybody. Matthew doesn't waste any time getting to the next miracle story, though. He doesn't just leave it there. There's, there's more. I looked through my pictures this week from the Sea of Galilee, and I realized uh, all of my pictures of the sea are, are placid. They're, they're, they're peaceful. And so I grabbed one of them, but, but today we probably need to think about it. And it's probably good, as I did boat rides each time. If you want to do a boat ride, you want a, you want a peaceful sea. But, but there are storms that come through the valley. And so we, we need to imagine for this story, we need to imagine a storm on the water. So it says the disciples were, were worried. And then, and then Jesus is coming, and they're like, how, how can this be happening? They think it's a ghost. There's a, a theory if you go and, and visit the Sea of, of Galilee today, you, a guide may tell you this story that, uh, or this, present this idea that the Sea of Galilee has some areas that are really deep, but it also has some areas that are really shallow. And the story says that the, the boat was out a ways, but, but one of the, the things that the guides will share is that it's possible it's possible that it was out of ways, but the disciples didn't know exactly where they were, but Jesus knew where he was on the lake and knew that it was shallow, and so he walked out essentially along a rock shelf to get to them. According to this idea of the story, then when Peter jumps out of the boat, he essentially jumps onto the shelf, but not knowing where he is, as he takes his steps toward Jesus, he steps off that shelf, and Jesus grabs him and pulls him up. I share this not to ask you to believe it. I actually, actually don't. So for my personal faith, I, I 
picture the idea of Jesus walking on water. It's part of the amazing things that God can do. But I share this to say that I think that we can have different ideas and different opinions. The first time that I was in the Holy Land, the guide said this, and then that night there was a group of people, and there was a, um, how would I describe this, fierce debate um, uh, about whether it was a miracle or it wasn't a miracle or whether there was a rock shelf or whether there wasn't a rock shelf, and it went back and forth, and, and as, like, as frustration is rising in this conversation, I remember thinking, wait, it doesn't matter. And then our senior pastor who was sitting in the room at the time, he goes, wait, it doesn't matter. The how is not what Matthew is trying to get you to, to answer here. However you believe it happened, what, what we should notice is once we're amazed and we begin to look at the story, what happened? Peter wanted to be like Jesus. That's what Matthew wants us to see. He was willing to step out of the boat and walk on water like, like Jesus was. Peter wanted to be like his rabbi, like his teacher. He wanted to follow in the way of Jesus. But when he steps out of the boat, right, the story tells us he took his eye off of Jesus. He took his eye off of the way. And then he begins to sink. But Jesus doesn't let him sink. Jesus grabs him and, and pulls him back up and invites him to consider his faith in Jesus again. Consider his faith in walking the way again. And then Matthew points out, like once you're amazed, what, it, what I really want you to see is that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the disciples come to realize. Rock shelf, no rock shelf. What the disciples realize is that, that Jesus has this command and presence and the wind dies down when he gets in the boat and they want, Jesus, that, that Matthew wants us to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who can save us, the followers realize. Jesus is the one that can point us to how to live in God's kingdom. You see, the disciples going into this story, like they can't imagine how to feed 5,000 people. Jesus invites them, you know, just trust God. Trust me. Trust that I'll provide. Peter, he loses his, his footing. Right? When he turns his eyes from Jesus, his, his insecurity and fear set in. And Jesus pulls him up and says, have faith. You don't need a flotation device. You've got me and my presence with you. Every day we get to decide if we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus or if we're going to look elsewhere, try to do it ourselves and solve it ourselves. Every day we get to Decide if we're going to trust God to provide for our needs. Every day, we're gonna, we get to decide if we're going to approach life bitter about what we don't have or fearful of how we can't do it or whether we're going to be thankful for what we do have and trust that God can make, make it enough. We get to decide if we're going to hoard what we do have or, or we're going to share 
so that everyone's needs are met. We get to decide if we're, if we're going to step out of the boat to follow where Jesus leads or if we're going to hunker down and not trust that Jesus has us. We get to decide if we believe that God can or if we believe God cannot. I know some of us want answers to the questions we're asking this month. Do you believe in, in miracles? Can't we just answer it? And, and we could. We're a culture that pre- prefers black and, and white. But if we let the question sit, if we allow ourselves to, to ask more questions and dig in and explore them, I wonder if, if God can't meet us in the questions and, and help shape us and lead us even more deeply in relationship with Jesus and, and even better understandings of God's way in our lives. Right? More questions will keep leading us. As we ponder the unexplained, we can ask, how can what is unexplained shape our understanding of God? Instead of saying, definitely a miracle or definitely not, what if we just sit with what is unexplained? Because we know that miracles are not made to order. Every day that we want to spend outside is not sunny, even though we pray for it. Not everyone who is faithful, but who gets sick, is healed of the disease in the way that we hope they would be healed. The right person doesn't always come along Right When we're struggling and in the midst of, of tough times, sometimes, sometimes we end up sitting in that struggle alone for a while. At the same time, sometimes amazing things happen. Sometimes the right person does come along right at the time we needed to hear their word or, or feel their love. Sometimes the cancer goes into remission in, it, in a way that nobody can explain. Sometimes there is a beauty and a majesty in creation that we can't begin to explain away. If we'll sit in the questions, we're allowed to just keep asking, God, how, how can what is unexplained shape our understanding of, of the things that are beyond us? And if we'll sit with this question of miracles we also can, can see an, another question we can ask in this story. What about those times when we are sinking? When we can't see a way forward, when we not, we're not sure that we can get back to the boat, when our faith is wavering? What, where do we turn and what do we do? Can we have a faith that God can do more than we ask or imagine? Can we hold on to hope in those times that death won't have the final word, that the struggle we're in won't have the final word? Can we hang on even, even when it's hard to see above the, the water we're sinking in? As we explore the very questions of amazing things, of miracles, we might just find that these miracle stories they have something to teach us and tell us about Jesus. They point us beyond what can be explained. 
that keep us exploring the question, who is Jesus? How do I, I make sense of, of this world and, and, and my place in it as a, as a child of God? What is the kingdom of God? How am I a part of it? What, what does it look like? And then, and then we're invited to claim moments of wonder. Some of you have stood on a mountaintop You've hiked up there, and and you've gotten to the top, and first, you're just amazed that you're alive because your heart is beating so hard in in your chest. You're not sure how you're drawing air, and then you look out at the expanse of creation around you, and there's this sense of awe and beauty, and you feel so small in the midst of all of this amazing beauty of the world. Some of you have been in the room when a child is born or a grandchild is born marveling at this little being brought into the world and this gift of life, finding yourself in awe at every, every breath and every little sound, every little cry. Some of you have been part of an outreach effort where you set out to meet some needs in the community and, and the need was so great as you got started, you're like, there's no way we're going to be able to, to help or feed or care for all these people that we just don't, we don't have the resources. And, and yet somehow exhausted and with every resource tapped at the end of the day, you were like, oh my gosh, somehow, somehow everybody found what they needed. Somehow we met the needs of people today. Some of you have faced a time in your life when you didn't know how you were going to get through, through the grief or through the struggle or through the pain. And then somehow someone came along or, or something happened that gave you just enough strength, just enough hope, just enough of a sense that, that Christ's hand was reaching down as you were going under the water and allowed you to hang on to your faith and find a way through the storm. And these amazing experiences, maybe we don't have to have the answer. Maybe we should hear an invitation today to sit in the questions. To ask, what do these experiences tell me about humanity and about God and about my place in God's kingdom? What do these experiences tell me about where I can turn when things fall apart? Can I trust in a God whose power is beyond my own, in a God who can do more than I imagine, whether through the supernatural or or through God's people, through God's church? And one more question we can ask. If, If I trust if I'm willing to sit in this amazement and just trust that God is at work in the midst of it, how does that change how I live? How I act? And maybe as important, how I serve in the wonder and amazement of the world. Amen.